I wanted them to achieve over the course of the year. I wrote very, you know, comprehensive handover notes with clear like objectives for the year. Um, I was also involved in the recruitment process for my maternity covers always, which I think is also a big thing. And I'm not sure everyone gets the luxury to do that. And um, so I felt that like what I wanted the team to achieve, there was, there was a lot of trust in that. Um, so it didn't feel like, I don't know, maybe even if I wasn't physically there, the kind of idea, the little continuity in terms of the work and the ideas and what we valued as a team. Hello and welcome back to the Leaders with Babies podcast. Thank you so much for listening again. Um, as I said in the last episode, I've just been blown away by how many of you have joined me again. Now I've come back from maternity leave to listen to the podcast again. It's just such a wonderful feeling to know that you're finding this interesting and that you're getting a lot from it, enough to keep coming back every single week. I really appreciate it. So today's guest is actually a suggestion of one of our listeners. So big, big thank you, because it was a brilliant suggestion. It's Flora Letanka, who is an executive director at Teach First, which is the largest educational charity in the UK. And what's so interesting about her story is that she is really one of those individuals who has progressed her career whilst her children were quite young. And she's managed to do that in a way that she's worked flexibly, in a place where there weren't any other senior women with children in that same level position. And I think it's very interesting. She's also challenged my thinking. She's challenged my assumptions about what is needed for an exec director role, um, which I'm sure you'll find quite interesting. And I'd love to know your views, actually, once you're listening to it. Um, But I'm sure you'll get a lot from it. I think Flora is also a really interesting individual because she's quite honest about failures and challenges she's experienced and I'm very grateful to her for being so honest because I think that is very very valuable for for people like me and hopefully for people like you who are listening so do enjoy this episode and if you want to do one thing to help me it would be fabulous absolutely fabulous if you could share this episode with one new person that you think could benefit from this content Um, and also get in touch on twitter social media and so on to um connect with us so thank you very much and enjoy the episode So a very warm welcome, Flora, to the podcast. Lovely to have the chance to chat to you in this format. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself and telling me what you do for work and who is in your family? Hi, Verna. Thank you so much um, for inviting me um, to speak to you today. So I'm um, I'm the executive director for network development at Teach First, and Teach First is a charity whose vision and mission is to make um, education fair for every child, so that kids from the poorest backgrounds and the poorest communities get the same life chances and opportunities as um, kids in the in the wealthiest communities in the country. So I've been I've been working at Teach First for nearly eleven years. And over that period, I've also had three children. So I've got a seven-year-old boy called Leo, a four-year-old girl called Zara, who's just started school last week, and a one-and-a-half-year-old baby called Rose. Wonderful. And so we should probably disclose, uh, you and I, we used to work together when I was the Southeast Director at Teach First. And you, uh, I think it's worth saying that Teach First is quite a massive beast by now it's the the biggest education charity 
in the country. And network director, what, what does that mean? What What's on your plate today, aside from talking to me about the podcast? So, yeah, big picture, what we're trying to do is... Um, is a couple of things. One one thing is building up networks of teachers and school leaders and, and those in the broader community who want to support schools. Because I think for, for teachers and leaders working in schools in the most disadvantaged communities, it is a really tough job. There are amazing people um, doing that tough job. And the more we can do to help spread the kind of knowledge and inspiration and motivation um, between those teachers and leaders and give them access to more resources, from from those working well beyond um the better so we've grown sort of yeah from 25 networks of teachers leaders and others to, to 90 now and we're looking for that to expand to about three or four hundred over the next few years so um so some of the work today has been looking at kind of operational underpinnings and salesforce systems to support some of that and then the other thing we're doing which is very related is that you know, teach first is all about recruiting brilliant people to to go and teach in school serving most disadvantaged communities and not just recruiting them to teach for two years but the idea is they become part of a lifelong community and movement of people who are working to make education fair and the vast majority of those people stay in teaching and become leaders of schools um, but then there is a good portion who are going on and working in politics in industry in social enterprise and they also have so much to bring from those contexts back in support of schools and so um, we are also working with how do we make sure that that ambassador community we call them ambassadors after they finish the training program um, and other other teach first programs so how do we ensure that they really remain um, committed to the vision of ending educational inequality connected to one another and really empowered to be the change they want to see in the world so it's all about you know at its heart it's about building networks of passionate people committed to ending inequality in education. Great. Well, not not a easy nine to five job then. And do you work flexibly or do you work full time? So I've got a, um, a compressed contract. So I work 10 days in nine. So I have every other Friday um, off. And actually, because I, I only just came back, well, in a way, came back from maternity leave in December, I have used a lot of my accrued maternity leave holiday over the last seven or so months to, to take every Friday off. So I've, I've essentially been working four days a week um, for, since I've been back from maternity leave. And did you always know that it was possible to work four days a week in a very senior role or is it only something that you tried out and learned along the way? I definitely tried out and learned along the way. I was really conscious when I became the executive uh, director that I was um, one of the first executive directors, um, female executive directors to have children, like, you know, teach first 15 year history before that. Um, I think there had been one HR director who had a seat on the board, but essentially, um, yeah, I knew, I knew it was just like a new path that I was um, carving. And yeah, when I started doing the four days a week approach, and um, it was something that I tried out when I came back from my first maternity leave, and again, was a bit unusual at that time. And I can talk a bit more about yeah how I went about it, um, if that's useful. But yeah, and there aren't any other executive directors that do four days or, or even 10 days and nine. It's, it's still quite unusual mm. at that level. Mm. So you got the executive director role after you've had your first baby, is that right? Or did you have it? No, no. So um, after my first baby, I was, I think I was head of the innovation unit then at Teach First. So a few rungs down on the on the ladder. But yeah, I had my first baby 
yeah, I just set up the innovation unit that had been running for a year. Um, I then left for a year's maternity leave. And then I think within about six, I've got my, my brain, I was trying to remember. I think I came back and after my first maternity leave, I stayed as the head of the innovation unit. And then it was on my second, um, and that's, it was on coming back from my first maternity leave. That's when I came back and I, and I went, I'd been to some really good HR training where they had said, you know, told us all about this accrued maternity leave holiday, which I hadn't known about. And so what I, and I, at that stage, I had a full-time contract. But what I did after my first maternity leave was I used my holiday to work four days a week whilst being paid for five days a week. And I was really conscious that I wanted to prove over a period of six months of working four days a week that I could achieve the same outcomes at the same quality as if I'd been working five days a week. And so for the first six months, I did that. And then I remember very clearly my, my review with my manager at the time. Um, where I really went in with that case saying, uh, you know, I got the, you know, the top grading or whatever in terms of my performance. And then I said, you know, I've achieved this by just working four days a week. Can I um, change my contract to recognize this? And I didn't want to be paid less because I knew that I was achieving the same outcomes. And it was from that that I was able to go onto a compressed contract. So they wouldn't give me four days paid at five but it did mean that i could then have a, a 10 day in nine contract so that felt like a real victory to come back after a year of maternity leave still deliver a really good job but do it in fewer days and then i could spend a bit more time with the children and also i've been working very very flexibly when i came back from that first maternity leave and so i was you know i i would only be in the office from like i don't know like 9 30 to 3 then i'd come home look after the baby and then i'd log, log on again in the evening and work you know work my hours so that i could spend a lot of time with my baby because i wasn't wasn't yet ready to um to not have that daytime time with them so that was the first first maternity post maternity leave one was about you know getting trust that i could work very flexibly in not traditional hours, but achieve the same outcomes. And then after my second maternity leave, that was when there was an organization restructure and partly due to having someone brilliant doing my maternity cover. And you know, my first two maternity covers were both internal, brilliant internal candidates. And um, so Gina, who was doing my maternity cover the second time around, there was an org restructure and she, you know, she took the initiative, she came up to see me in my house and we basically together drafted what we wanted a new structure to look like. And within that, um, that really meant, um, it, it meant emerging um, and a more senior position for, for our role. Um, and so coming back from that second maternity leave, I was coming back at a, a more senior level. And then the third time round, it was about, about again, six months after coming back from that third maternity leave, there was a, a vacancy at a more senior level and um, I applied for that. And, and that's when I got the executive director role. Sorry, Verena, I'm talking, I feel like I'm talking on and on. Does that, is that all making sense? No, no, not at all. I think it's very interesting that you progressed at a time when you had a lot of babies after each other. So, yeah. What did you do to still progress? I think I made sure I really, really focused on the outcome. What did success look like for my role? Like what was I there to do and achieve? And being like really clear on that and then working, you know, really effectively to achieve those things. So when I first came back from maternity leave number one, the big thing was we needed funding for the innovation unit. 
And so I put, you know, put my energies into some, you know, was some late night working, like putting together a really competitive funding pitch, working with the funders at the time who were Bloomberg to, to sell the vision, working with them, make it reality. And it's just, that was the most important thing at that in, in those few months coming back after that first maternity leave and making sure I delivered on that. And I think it's just taking, making sure I didn't fall into a mindset of, you know, hours put in equals output, because we all know that's not true. You know, it's about what you need to do, what you need to deliver, and trying to put my energies yeah, into into those things, and then getting tangible results, which meant that I still had a good story to tell. Whether that's for, um, you know, making a case for a, a very agile approach to working, or or making a case for um, for promotion. Um, and I think obviously the other thing to mention, of course, is that the teach first environment is generally incredibly supportive. Like you know, we had a, um, I think as you'll remember, there was a time when we um, outgrew our office space. So there was a cross org initiative many years ago to actually embed a more agile approach to working, you know, irrespective of caring responsibilities across the organization. So there was also, I wasn't going, I wasn't swimming against the tide with any of this. It was, it was getting increasingly embedded in the organizational culture um, that agile working was a positive for the business. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think obviously it's really interesting to see how you focused on the purpose of your role really clearly in order to get promoted. And I think that is really important and it's interesting also that you mentioned about the, the money that you were focused on, on securing what i noticed that for many many roles be that in the charity sector or the private sector focusing on the end deliverables or the, the, the things that keeps the boss awake at night is really important obviously the boss would have been worried in this case brett would have been really worried about have we got the funding or not to use that to develop that innovation unit so I can see how that would be quite useful, but it does sound like a lot of hard work to have to put in all these late hours. Do you think you might have been able to do it without these late hours in hindsight? Just completely honestly. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I mean, those late hours were because I was finishing work at three. And then, you know, my little routine was like, I was living in Southeast London at the time. The office was in London Bridge. I'd leave at three, be home before four, take over from, um, from Ruth, who was looking after the baby. And then I'd do pot off to the park, have a coffee, push Leo on the swings. I'd do like tea, bath time, bedtime. Like that was my protected time with Leo. And so I would then log on again at like 7.38. And then I would do like four or five hours straight you know, in this particular intensive period of trying to get these fundraising proposals um, done. But I then, you know, I then was, you know, I was then going in very late the next morning, you know, handing over to Ruth at 9, 9.30 and getting to the office at after 10. So the lateness was part of my choice because I wanted to have that, I wanted to have that morning time with Leo and I wanted to have some afternoon time with him. So that is the trade-off that, that I made. And I think, what I found useful and, and you know, it's always challenging, isn't it, for, for everyone, but I still find it difficult to find like that flow time where you're really just in the zone and stuff like, you know, like writing funding proposals, you need to be fully concentrated and, you know, uninterrupted. And actually I found in being agile, I, I 
actually found that quite exciting that I had this evening time where there were no emails coming in. There was nothing, no one demanding anything of me and I could get into that flow zone. So I think maybe that was quite productive in a way. And you often managed to keep people, to make sure that people kept thinking of you as someone really good, even though you've been out of the picture for nine months or so, three times in a row. How did you make sure that you were still visible or you know people still remembered you and knew oh yeah let's think of Laura for this next big job or yes she would be a great candidate how did you do that I think I think I mean three things like my um one my my manager so for the first two maternity leaves I was managed by someone who I who was absolutely brilliant and really like I felt she really believed in me so and we had very open communication um, so we had a very, very productive working relationship. So that was yeah, Fiona Rawls, who who I have huge respect for. And and so I, I trusted, yeah, I trusted her. And I think she she trusted me. And there was a very productive working relationship there of a real mutual respect and belief. And then the second thing was having um, brilliant people doing my maternity covers. And again, so both times, both first times, it was highly capable members who I'd been managing for some time already again we knew each other we had the same vision you know they knew what I wanted them to achieve over the course of the year I wrote very you know comprehensive handover notes with clear like objectives for the year Um, I was also involved in the recruitment process for my maternity covers always which I think is also a big thing and I'm not sure everyone gets the luxury to do that and so I felt that like what I wanted the team to achieve there was a trust in that. Um, so it didn't feel like, I don't know, maybe even if I wasn't physically there, the kind of idea, there was a little continuity in terms of the work and the ideas and what we valued as a team. And then I think the third, those probably background factors, but the, the biggest jump was with getting the executive director role, which was after my third maternity leave. And I think with that, it was, I came back from maternity leave. That was a, a big re-strategy uh, process going on where um, it was being, you know, we, we were as a charity, we were really, um, we needed to focus down on what were we really trying to do as a charity and focus and concentrate so that we could be as efficient, effective and ultimately impactful as we wanted to be. And there were some things like the innovation unit that were, were hugely successful, but were uh, seen as slightly on the edge of the core purpose of Teach First. And so as I came back, I quickly began to understand that the innovation unit was you know, was on the table for being kind of you know, uh, cut off from Teach First or, or ended. And so that was um, quite a mobilizing moment for me um, in that, well, you know, how am I going to react to this? And I think because I just cared about the innovation, partly because I just cared about the innovation unit to work so much and the, the, the support we were giving to get new social enterprises off the ground, the support we were doing to help those social enterprises grow so that they could impact like hundreds of thousands of young people. Like I didn't want that to just be cut off and forgotten about and we had a new chief executive Russell Hobby, Hobby who was leading this process who didn't know me at all so he'd come in during the maternity leave period anyway I basically you know but Russell is incredibly open so the message he'd been given, giving to the whole organization was you know come and speak to me anytime I'm always available so I thought sod it I'm going to go and speak to Russell because I need to understand where this is coming from and I need to you know, put all the arguments to him. So 
having not spent much time with them and only having been back from the maternity leave not for not very long and um, I put in time with Russell which he was open to and I was you know I was just I didn't report into him at the time I was you know several layers down from him and I just you know we just had a really good frank conversation where um I put the case you know I asked him questions and I put the case you know, and, so, and you argued with him about whether actually there was a level of complexity given the size and scale of Teach First, whether there was a was scope um, to actually retain a level of complexity um, within it. So we had just really good conversation, which wasn't about me, you know, at this stage, I had no idea what the roles, it wasn't about me trying to position myself for a promotion. It was about me trying to make sure that the team and the work and that, you know, had a had a future in some sense and to understand it. So I think, but in being retrospect, and then following that conversation, I then put together a paper. Again, Gina was key to this, the person who'd done my mat leave. And she and I put together a proposal for, you know, okay, if, if the innovation unit is going to be um, phased out, this is how we think we should be phased. I think we should, and we thought it should, we should scope whether or not it could be spun out into a separate organization, either independently or in partnership. And we put all that together, we submitted it to the leadership team for review. And again, I think the speed with which we adapted to the change, got focused on solutions, gave me a level of visibility and Gina that we might not have otherwise had. So that when it came for these, so Russell knew who I was, he knew the way that I thought, he knew the way that I articulated things. He knew that I was quick to adapt and, and get you know, get solutions focused, and he could see that I could you know work with, with well with my team and others. So when like four or so months later, there was a vacancy at the executive director level, we already had a bit of that frank relationship. It had some of that visibility, and um, and I think that helped. And and even before the interview process, again. Russell said, you know, again, open to any ideas from me. And I, again, put in time with him and just said, okay, I'm, I'm applying for this job. This is why. These are some of my draft. You know, this is what, this is the way I'm thinking about it. Is Does this resonate with you or not? So you know, even just getting a bit of a sense of, was he, was he going to be interested in the way I would approach this role? So I think all of that helped. That's really interesting. Again, you got promoted by looking at what the whole organization needs and then put yourself towards that rather than just thinking in your own silo and that seems to be a pattern that I see see a lot and we you and I we had an interesting pre-chat where I said oh I'm going to ask you how you got you know what different skills you need at exec director level compared to lower levels and in my view as an exec director you absolutely have to show that you're taking ownership of the whole organization uh, or the whole organization's priorities. But I can see now, you told me at the time, you challenged me, you said, no, 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 actually, it's the same skills. And I, But I can see how you, at even at more junior levels, you still looked at your project through the lens of the whole organization, um, which is which is quite an interesting um, approach. I think it's partly because, you know, I did the Teach First program myself back in 2004. I taught in a school in Northeast London, like I was part of this ambassador community like before I came to work for Teach First. You know, I'd been a strategy consultant for a number of years after doing Teach First. But so I think I've always felt this like very strong belief in the organization as a whole, belief in what it's doing, even though my work has only been in a part of it. And so I think that is probably at the root of it. And I think again, it's what is what part of the privilege of being part of the executive team 
that is so exciting and stimulating is that you know I am part of again Russell worked in a very collaborative way with his executive director team and you know there there I don't there are very few decisions if any that are made outside of that group and I think everything comes to the group and it's it's sort of debated hard but to be the privilege is to be you know, for a charity I care about so much um, that I've got my distinct area of responsibility and accountability but that I am able to yeah learn about feed into and influence the decisions of the charity as a whole is very intellectually stimulating because I'm learning about all sorts of areas that I don't know about um, and, and able to, to shape the direction. And that, that's what makes it really, really exciting, I think. Mm-hmm. Great. So I'm interested in failure and your failure specifically. And the reason why is because I imagine lots of people listening to this will think, wow, Flora is amazing. Um, I would never be able to do what she is. She looks so perfect, or she sounds so perfect <laughs> in a podcast. I mean, just definitely what, don't look perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what has been your biggest failure in combining a high flying career with children? And what have you learned from it? What, what has you, been your biggest moment of failure? I don't think there's like a giant moment of failure. I think there's the you know, and I obviously had lower moments in my you know, in my career. There was a time early on when I was at Teach First um, when I was put on a performance management plan by my direct by yeah by the director, who was a sort of maternity cover director. But and and you know she she obviously didn't think I was up to it. And you know so it's not all been a you know one giant kind of flight upwards. I think the fate is not. There's just that it's like small small little moment. A lot of small moments of doubt and like maybe smaller failures I don't know it's like thinking you know this morning we went in again because I can work in a flexible way at Teach First because of the culture like at nine o'clock there was a meet the teacher with Leo's year three teacher and talking about homework and doing spellings and you know all of that and do I put enough creative energy into my my own children's education probably not like if I was dropping them off at school and not doing I don't not doing the job I do um, and picking them up. Maybe I would be coming up with all sorts of brilliant ways to make learning your spellings fun and learning your multiplication tables. So there's a, I, th- I think that relates to your questions around guilt, doesn't it? There's a, that is a, that is a constant thing. You just have to, you know, slightly navigate and live with and just think, be thoughtful about your choices. And so do you, do you feel guilty? It depends on the day, the month. I think it depends how everyone's getting on. Like right now, I don't feel guilty. Like, it's the start of the new term. I'm really, I feel, I feel like the children have got good childcare and place, good teachers at school. You know, if I, I'm working from home, obviously, because it's sort of the tail end of, of COVID life. And so, um, you know, I'm around. I see my baby at lunchtime or in coffee breaks. Like, and um, so it feels like the balance is, is quite, is quite good. But I think there's moments when the children seem less happy or are getting on less well. And then you're like, oh, am I putting enough creative energy into home? Yeah, makes sense. Um, I'm interested, Flora, in why you chose to have three children rather than two. The reason why I'm interested in asking this, well, obviously I chose to have three children as well. And I'm just, for me personally, I think two, you can kind of justify quite easily. Um, because people tell you it would be helpful to have a sibling, they can play with each other. Three seems to be a little bit of a crazy idea. 
I'm saying this with a seven-month-old who I love dearly, but I'm interested in your thought process. Why did you decide to have a third child and what was your thought process? Or maybe you didn't decide yeah. it happened. I come from a big family. Like I'm one of four, so I've got three brothers. My mom's one of four. My dad's one of five. Um, Pete, my husband, has um, he's one of three and has tons of cousins who are all his best mates and like family is really important to both Pete, Pete and I and I know it's important to, to a lot of people but just that I think the thing I had growing up is I felt like I was part of a gang and I just loved it I love being part of a gang and I kind of wanted my kids to have that feeling of being part of a gang and it's amazing I'm of my three brothers each of them has got three or four children and so there's between them there's like 13 children all between the ages of one and 11 and they are a they are a mega gang. And I just love that. So, yeah, being lucky enough to be able to have children, it sort of felt like a no-brainer. The question we get asked is, are we going to have four? I think not. <laughs> I think three is our limit. <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing so honestly. Is there anything else that you have, that you know now, having had your third child and, and returning into this very senior role on your third maternity leave, that you didn't know at the beginning that? you would really like to tell your younger self? Maybe that it just keeps changing and being okay with that. Like I remember going to a talk at my old university just after I'd had Leo and it was a women alumni thing. And there were some really senior women there, like someone who's very senior at BBC and elsewhere. There was some question about, I think I even asked a question about, I don't know, something about you know having this agile approach of just you know being very flexible. And they slightly scoffed at the idea of doing like the thing of like late night working so that you could spend time with your children in the day and I think I understand now because they at the time they said something like like you just won't be able to maintain that and what I can do now with three children and the patterns I can work are really different like I can't now I can't do that like working 10 till 3 and then like working after put the children to bed because like the process of putting the children to bed is so much more exhausting now there are three of them than it was before and it's not a matter of just one baby down and then turn on the laptop it's like it's like a full-on marathon of trying to get Leo to read to me I read to him you know everyone's messing around it's not it's not a simple process and so you're, my energy levels are different like what I can but then conversely I feel more comfortable now they're a bit older like leaving them with a nanny which we're doing now like from nine to six like four days a week um you know, dropping in and out of that but I feel more comfortable doing that now I, I wouldn't have been able to do that with a, just one new ba baby just because of where I was at so I think it's just it's just keeping keeping checking in with your own energies like your own needs and and recognizing that will continue to to change and according to the number of children your work patterns and, and your life so I think that's probably like a, yeah a confirmation of that I'm not sure how articulate that is but my only other advice would be to what I think I took like subliminally as a younger self is yeah it's just push the boundaries like so if you think you can do your job well like think about what what it is you need to prove in order to prove you're doing it well and then be like super demanding in the hours or the way you want to go about achieving that and if you've got the trust that you will achieve it, then you can be, I mean, no, I don't think anyone else at Teach First was working like with the degree of flexibility that I was working at that time of literally only being in the office for 
you know, very short period of time in a day. I think luckily the world's changed quite a lot now with obviously everyone being used to, to home working and online working. But yeah, I think know what you want and be bold in asking for it. And the worst that can happen is that you can be told no, but at least you can ask and experiment. And having that trust with your manager. Excellent advice. And so to finish off with, if someone hears this and has been back maybe one or two weeks from maternity or share parental or, or adoption leave and is a little bit overwhelmed with all the things going on, settling into nursery, but sees this amazing job and wants to go for it, but doesn't know anything about what's happening in the organization because the organization has changed hugely since he or she left. What would be two or three things that person could do this week to increase their chances of getting that senior role? Yeah, I think one of the things I did after maternity leave was, you know, set up loads of coffees or virtual coffees with everyone I knew and almost you know, turning the year off into a, spinning it into an advantage and saying, I've been away for a year, so I'm really interested in your view on what's changed. What are your priorities now? What are your challenges? What are the opportunities? And particularly if anyone's been off over this whole year with everything changing with COVID, I mean, that's going to be a really interesting conversation. But that enables you to learn very quickly and um, yeah, what has gone on, what are people's priorities, and get a sense of where of, you know, some of those broader cross-organizational issues that you might not be aware of. And and actually, I think, again, framing your, I think I've always said with maternity leave, actually, I, I really valued it each time as like a brain refresh, like you come back with a fresh perspective you're not bogged down in the frustrations and the detail of things that have been building up over years so you can come back with a freshness you can ask questions that may be a bit weird for you to ask if you had been working alongside someone for the last few years but you can genuinely ask like what have you found most difficult what have you what are you most excited about so i would be quite bold in reaching out to you know anyone and everyone who you think could give you an interesting perspective um, and that then going into a, um, if you were then going into for, a, for another role, that will help shape your thinking and make sure that you're bedding your pitch or your, you know, whatever you're being asked to do, you you will be able to contextualize it and make your experience relevant to, to where that organization is at right now. Um, so that would be my top piece of advice. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Flora. Um, I really enjoyed chatting to you again. And I can see actually talking to you, your story is even more interesting than I thought. So thank you very much for your time. I want to, well, once the recording is finished, I want to, I want to quiz you on you, you and all the same questions for you, Verna, because you're, you're leading a brilliant organisation with three young children and, and your perspective on all these questions. Um, be really useful <laughs> well actually Kirsty, one of our fellows did a she's a bbc journalist and she interviewed me while i was on maternity leave i probably was still slightly dazed from a massive lack of sleep but um if anyone is interested in, <laughs> in my my realization so basically i think the bottom line is it's not easier the third time round, but it's still really really special as having children is of course but it's it's not easier it's just challenging in different ways and if people want to connect with you flora where would they go and so, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn is probably the best place. Yeah, it's just Flora Latanka. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much and have a lovely rest of the day. Thanks, Rena. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode and a big thank you again to Flora who was absolutely brilliant. I would love to get your views on whether that was a helpful episode, what you learned from it. Um, so you can get in touch with at leaders underscore plus on Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn and, and Facebook. We'd really love to hear from you and hear your thoughts. And um, I really love the, doing the podcast and I want to reach more people with it so it would be fantastic if you can today and share it on one social media platform and also share it with a friend uh, through a personal message for example a whatsapp message or an email thank you so much for your help and see you next week